Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 5th of February 2023, 9.30 service. Tim Davis speaking in the series, Outsiders Come to God, the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, one of the benefits of this series that we're looking at, um, of outsiders coming to God, is that hopefully some of the people, some of the characters featured in it, um, in this series, just might resonate with you. You might identify with them. You know, women, poor, wealthy people, people from different faiths who converted Christianity, that, that might feel like, yeah, I identify with that. And so I just thought I'd take a moment this morning uh, to make sure that at least we've got some people here today uh, who are expecting to identify with the subject of today's talk, the Ethiopian eunuch. <laughs> no hands raised, okay. I better do a different talk then. <laughs> I, no, I, I can't say, I'm probably relieved to say, I'm not surprised there's not any here uh, who identifies directly as an Ethiopian eunuch. Um, but it may come as a surprise to you when I say that this passage has always resonated with me a lot over the years. Um, about 10 years ago, when I was um, considering going forward to train as a licensed lay minister, um, I had to attend a vocations forum at the offices of Southwark Diocese. And in preparation for the day, all of the people coming forward to think about how they might explore their ministry were given a like, selection of different Bible passages to choose. And they had to choose one of them and just do a very short, like three, four minute talk to a small section of people about why that passage particularly resonated with them. How it spoke to us about our faith and our journey to ministry so far. And I chose that passage from Acts, uh, although I should make it clear, it's not because of my extensive experience of proselytizing to Ethiopian eunuchs. I think for a lot of people, one of the biggest challenges they face in church on a Sunday, in Bible studies, in their home groups, in their faith in general, can often be this. It's big, it's long, it's full of weird stuff going on. It was written hundreds, thousands of years ago, compiled over hundreds of years ago, uses language that can seem strange and incomprehensible, alien to many people. It can appear full of contradictions, inconsistencies. And yet the Bible is the most important book ever written. It contains everything we need to understand and why it's important to have faith in God and his assurances and his promises. And when we struggle to understand what's going on in a passage from the Bible that we happen to be hearing or happen to be reading or hearing read to us or preached on in church, it can make us feel like a bit of an outsider. Thinking that perhaps everyone around us clearly knows what's going on, what's been said, what's been talked about. So why are we struggling? Imagine how a person reading the Bible for the very first time, hearing the Bible for the very first time, might feel. Anyone feeling they might just identify with an Ethiopian eunuch a bit more? Now, I love studying the Bible. Um, ever since I was doing you know, biblical religious studies and A-level, I just loved it. And I've always enjoyed preaching on a specific passage more than a specific topic and this passage from Acts really resonates with me because I love the challenge and the privilege 
that you have to take a passage from the Bible and try to make it as understandable and as accessible to people as I can and hopefully enable it to have some small impact on them. And so today I thought, you know, we'd do just that with a good old-fashioned biblical exegesis of this passage and try and understand what's going on. And right there, I've probably used a word that is also quite alien to many people. A classic example of how we can easily lose people and make them feel like outsiders. So, exegesis, the critical explanation or interpretation of a text, especially of scripture. That's what we're going to do. We're going to examine, do a critical analysis of the passage and see what we find and what it can tell us. So, first of all, we're going to ask, who was Philip? Well, Philip, uh, in chapter 6 of Acts, two chapters before the passage we just heard read to us, he's referred to as one of the seven. Who were the seven? Uh, these were seven individuals chosen by the early church to care for the needs of the Greek-speaking widows of the early church, who some felt were being neglected. The uh, Hebrew-Jewish-speaking widows, they were looked after. The Greek ones, less so. Um, and Stephen, now a name you might recognize, not just because he's our vicar, but Stephen, who was stoned to death by Saul, he was also one of the seven. And things don't go too well for this group of seven people. Stephen is arrested, and as we heard, stoned to death. Saul then begins persecuting this church, with many believers, both men and women, seized from their homes and thrown into prison. And so the believers, including this group of seven, or six as they are now, scatter they flee from Jerusalem for safety. And yet rather than put an end to the spread of the gospel as intended, it actually serves to spread the message out far and wide. Philip is first described as bringing the gospel to the Samaritans. Now, as we've heard in a few recent talks, um, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They're like their worst enemy. And yet this is a key message in Acts and the Gospel of Luke, who many believe, written by the same author, that outsiders are welcome. And so here is Philip preaching the Gospel in Samaria on his way down to Caesarea when he comes across this Ethiopian eunuch. Who was the Ethiopian eunuch? Um, the Ethiopian eunuch was not actually from what we understand as modern-day Ethiopia. Uh, he probably came from more of a region that sort of encompasses southern Egypt and northern Sudan. Um, and he would effectively have been the finance minister for the royal court and held a very privileged position because of that. Um, he was most likely castrated as a condition of his employment. Suddenly, your nasty boss at work doesn't seem all that bad, does he or she? Uh, and he was on his way down, uh, or he's been on, to Jerusalem to worship. And so he was quite possibly a Gentile Jew. However, because of his defect, um, he wasn't actually permitted to fully participate in the religious life of a practicing Jewish person. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1 says, No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. And so that very thing that brought him a position of power and status and influence also automatically made him an outsider in the eyes of the Jewish people. Okay, next question to ask, what's happening here? 
Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading aloud from the book of Isaiah. It seems a bit odd, you know, if you're on your commute to work and someone starts reading the times or from their tablet in front of you loud on the train, again, move away from the weirdo. But actually reading the like, Bible scripture aloud was common practice in those days. And Philip, feeling moved by the power of the Holy Spirit, goes up to the chariot that the Ethiopian eunuch is riding in. And he asks him, now, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian answers, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? Wow, what an opportunity for Philip. I remember years ago, um, when I was young, the leader of the particular youth group that I was in uh, at that time here at church um, was telling us a story uh, about how he'd been on the March of Witness the week before. Uh, this is where people from all churches in New Malden um, come together on Good Friday and would march down the high streets, walk down the high streets, and gather uh, at that time. I think we gathered for an open-air service at St. George's Square. Um, and as they were approaching the crossroads, someone sort of stopped this youth leader and said, what's going on? What an opportunity, our youth leader said to us. And yet it only became an opportunity because someone asked, what's this all about? Can you explain what's going on to me? What was the Ethiopian eunuch reading? He was reading a very important passage from Isaiah 53. And yet it was troubling him. He didn't know if the prophet was talking about himself or someone else. And he just didn't know what was going on. So what was the prophet Isaiah talking about? Biblical exegesis on Isaiah 53. Uh, don't worry, we're not going to do a full exegesis on Isaiah 53. But I do want us to look at just a handful of verses of what was being read. Uh, Isaiah 53 is one of the most quoted parts of the Old Testament in the New Testament. And the verses uh, preceding it in this chapter uh, make up what's kind of known as this final revelation of God to the people through the prophet Isaiah about the coming Messiah, the ministering, suffering servant. It speaks vividly about the Lord God sending his servant Jesus, his son, to bear our sins and suffer in our place. And when you read through some of the verses, it's incredibly powerful and incredibly indicting, I feel, of all of us. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The use of the first person pronouns there is quite something. Everything that happened to the suffering servant was, in fact, what should have happened to us. Now, the section that the Ethiopian eunuch was really troubled by is quite prophetic, foretelling the events around Jesus' death. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. When Jesus was on trial, he didn't respond to the allegations 
the charges of the Sanhedrin, nor to the questions of Pilate or Herod. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. The crowd, when Jesus was brought out by Pilate, could have called for Jesus' release, but instead they cried out for the Barabbas to be freed, and Jesus was crucified to death. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. It's an odd passage. And even though Jesus' burial was arranged by uh, Joseph of Arimathea, a righteous man is described as, Joseph had him buried amongst the wealthy. And to many, this would have not been seen as a place of honor. Because in the Bible, the wealthy were often associated with wickedness because their wealth and was acquired through oppression and dishonesty. And so with all this kind of weird, crazy imagery um, going on that he's been reading and this description of God punishing his servant for our sins, the Ethiopian eunuch is feeling like this is kind of going way over his head. And he just can't understand, who is this prophet talking about? It could have been that when he went to worship, he heard that passage being read, and it had been troubling him ever since. Unfortunately, Philip is on hand to explain it all to him and tell him that the prophet is talking about Jesus. And he tells him all about what Jesus had recently done, how he died, and how he rose to life again. What's the outcome of all of this? Well, the Ethiopian eunuch wants to get baptized. He wants forgiveness of sins. He wants eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And he goes on his way rejoicing. It's a wonderful encounter, this story. A really encouraging and positive episode in the Bible. Deeply needed just after the episode of Stephen being stoned to death. And it shows us once again that outsiders are welcome to God. And that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, breaks down all social, racial, and ethnic barriers. And yet, in this instance, it's only possible because someone explained it to a person who couldn't understand it all. Philip is described in the passage as suddenly disappearing, and he appears down the road in a place called Azotus, preaching and sharing the good news uh, with all the surrounding area until he reaches Caesarea. And Philip isn't actually mentioned again in the book of Acts until right at the end, some estimated 20 years later. And by then, he appears to have remained in Caesarea. He's got four unmarried daughters who are all uh, described as prophesying. And you know, just as the prophet Joel spoke about many years before when he said, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And yet it's Philip who has done so much by going and spreading the good news and helping people understand what it is they're reading and hearing and learning. If you open a Bible to read, do you ever feel like an outsider? Perhaps struggling to understand what it is you're reading. You know, you're not alone. But you don't need to feel like an outsider either. 
Uh, one of the ways we used to get people um, interested in reading the Bible, young people in, uh, here in church, was to have something called sword drill. Now, does anyone remember doing sword drill when they were younger? So, no, yeah, there we go. Um, basically, you used to get everyone to hold their Bibles up in the air. Now, fortunately, you wouldn't be given a huge one like this because that would really hurt. But you want to get a smaller one. You'd hold your Bible up in the air, um, probably a good news Bible because you're younger and that's what you're given to read. And the leader would, like, call out a Bible verse. And the first person to kind of find it, and, you know, some people go right back to the beginning to the index going, where on earth is Philemon? Got it. And that's Philippians. Okay. As soon as you found the verse that's been asked, you'd stand up and got it. And your reward would be to read it out and yeah, muck up on the tricky names and things. Um, and yeah, now I really wanted to do that in church this morning. Uh, but we actually got rid of all the Bibles a few years ago, because you do everything up on the screen. And yeah, you could just look it up on the smartphones, but basically everyone just goes, Siri, read out 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Can I just check that I've not activated? Fantastic, great. Um, and yeah, I wanted just to look at that passage. And if we did, you'd find it says this. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. What strikes me about those words, that verse, are the words which you heard from us. People understand the gospel, the Bible, God's word through hearing it from others, through teaching, through asking questions, through studying it with Bible commentaries to help them, books that have been written to give an explanation about passages in the Bible. Now, the reason my Bible is so ridiculously big compared to a normal church one is because this is a commentary Bible. Almost every verse has got an explanation at the bottom telling me what's going on. It helps me better understand what is being said, what was written, and why. You know, when you hear someone like myself, or Stephen, or Katie, or Ruth, or any other people who have the privilege of being able to speak to you on a Sunday in church, you may well wonder, ask yourself, how on earth do they know all this? How do they understand what was being written in the Bible? Well, the truth is, I often don't. But so many other people have spent so much time studying the Bible, reading it, looking at it in a literal and a literary and an historical and sociological context. And that helps me to understand what has been saying and how it relates to my life. But if you're not being helped to understand it all, then there's the real chance that you may find yourself thinking, why don't I understand it like everyone else? I guess I'm not really a good Christian. How can I be? And yet that should never be the case. A few years ago, um, I was helping out across the roads in our old parish halls at a kind of youth outreach evening that we're having. And myself and a couple of the other youth leaders were talking to some of the young people who had turned up. Um, and we were just talking to them about our faith and what we believed in and why and the difference it made to our lives. And one of them asked, how do you know all this stuff? You know, how do you understand? How do you know all this? Unfortunately, one of the other youth workers who was there involved at the time slightly unhelpfully said, you know, when you become a Christian, God puts these things on your heart. I was like, I don't think he does. Well, at least not in that kind of automated way. Like, 
Well done. You've said a prayer. Your sins are forgiven. Now receive the gift of understanding all knowledge and wisdom in the Bible. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I started to learn and understand things about God and Jesus and forgiveness and sacrifice and salvation through the great teaching that I received every week here at Christchurch when I was young and on the summer camps I used to go to when I was young and through Bible study notes and commentaries and sermons and discussions with my leaders and vicar. So if you're feeling like a bit of an outsider when it comes to the Bible or understanding certain aspects of the Christian faith, don't wait for the knowledge to suddenly come to you. Ask for help. Question. Challenge what you're hearing. It's great when someone, I'm going to pick on Vashti here, just because she's the first I always remember. But it's great when, no, Vashti would regularly come up to me after a service and go, great sermon, Tim, but I really didn't get that bit you were talking about there. And that forces me to think, okay, I've got to go back and think, how can I explain that better? Or do I really understand what I was saying? And you will talk about it and find a better way to understand it. Well, maybe you might want to say to Stephen, it'd be great if we could look at these topics perhaps in more depth in future Sunday School for Grown-Up sessions. And maybe one thing you can always do, though, and possibly the most important thing, every time you get ready to read the Bible, to listen to it being read, to be in a sermon, is pray. Ask God to help you understand something. Speak to you directly through the passage you're reading or studying or being spoken to on and show you why it's relevant to you today and that you don't need to feel like an outsider. So let's do that now. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for your words, the living words that speaks to us today, encourages us, strengthens us. Lord, we ask, the, we ask for the opportunities to be able to understand and study your word better. Help us to seek help when we need to and to not be afraid of it, to be encouraged and inspired by it, to know it's exciting and can affect our lives here today just as it did many, many years ago. Lord, your word is a light to our feet. May it guide us in our life. We ask this in your name. Amen.